Hey everyone, I'm Gracie. Welcome to the Grace of Military Child podcast. The world should know how unique military children are. We may look like normal children on the outside, but we go through some pretty extraordinary circumstances that shape us to the leaders we are today. Keep listening to hear the incredible journey this week's guest has been on. Hi, Arlene. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. And yourself? I'm doing good. Thank you. So excited to have you on. Yeah, I'm excited to be a part of this. I think an important message to to put out to the world. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your parent who served and kind of what experience that was like growing up. Yeah. So my father was, um, he was a helicopter pilot. Um, and I think he got his wings in 1954. And we were stationed immediately to Germany, where we were there for three years. Um, his first duty station as a pilot, I believe, was in Hanau, which is close to Frankfurt. Anybody that's been to Germany knows where that is. And then we were um, transferred to Premisons, and that's where I started kindergarten. And Premisons is a um, a military post on the French border, close to Strasbourg. So then from there, we returned to the United States. Um, He was stationed at White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico, uh, which is an Air Force base. But he was a pilot that was retrieving. They were testing um, different bombs and stuff, and and they would send dud bombs out into um, the White Sands Missile Range. And he was part of the crew that would retrieve them and bring them them back. Um, So from there, let's see, that was in the early to mid-60s that we were there. 61, I think we went there. And um, so during that time, trying to remember now, um, he began having um, severe vascular headaches and he was then grounded for being a pilot and went to Fort Eustis, Virginia and went to um, um, aircraft maintenance school. So the family packed up and we went to Virginia for five months and then back to New Mexico. And then from New Mexico, he got orders to um, Korea. And he went to Korea and my sisters, there was four of us in the family, four girls and my mother packed up and we came back to South Carolina where my family's originally from. And we spent that year in South Carolina while he was in Korea. And that is the time period when President Kennedy was assassinated. And I remember being in the, the sixth grade um, in a music class and, and they came in and, you know, announced everybody was going home. And um, then they told us that the president had been shot. And I remember with my sixth grade um, wisdom I was afraid that that meant we were at war and I was like, my dad's in Korea and he's never going to come home. And this is just terrible. So, um, which of course, none of that happened. He did come home and we went from there to Fort Benning, Georgia. And in Fort Benning, Georgia, he was with the 11th air assault, which then was um, um, merged with the first cab division. And the first cab division was, um, sent to Vietnam and I remember the night that he left to go to Vietnam it was the same as in that movie we were soldiers if anybody's seen that and 
where we were all out on the, the parade field and in parking lots and families standing around waiting for their father and husband's unit to be, be called. And they were loaded onto buses and then taken to a train station and they went by train. There were hundreds of them. I mean, I can remember that just hundreds and hundreds out there. And they went by train to Savannah, Georgia, where they boarded a boat and went by boat to Vietnam. So the morning after he left, my grandfather took my, who was also a military person, I might add, um, he took my younger sister and I in the car and we came back to Beaufort to spend the summer with them. And we went immediately to Savannah to the boat docks. And my grandfather said to me, now, this is the boat that your father's on that he's leaving, but you're never going to be able to see him. So, you know, we were right down, we got out of the car and we're walking on the docks. And I looked up and there stood my father in one of the portholes. He had seen us and he was waving and we were waving to him. So that was, that was just, you know, a, a, a very special, special moment for us to, to be able to do that. So my dad spent his year in Vietnam. We spent the year in South Carolina. Um, no, we did not. I'm sorry. Spent the summer in South Carolina. And then I went back to Fort Benning, you know, with my mother and my other sisters. Um, I remember that terrible, terrible night that was portrayed in the movie. We were soldiers that so many pilots were shot down on a mission and all of the families, the wives and all the kids, we gathered together in a few houses, just um, waiting to see who, who was going to get that visit from the, um, the chaplain and somebody notifying that, that their spouse was one of the uh, people shot down. Fortunately, my father wasn't, he was on the ground crew as a, a maintenance person. So he, he wasn't in the air. So he came home from Vietnam and we went to, where did we go after that? Fort Benning, Georgia. We went back to Germany and we were stationed in, in Munich. By then I was in the ninth grade, um, living in, in Munich with the Oktoberfest and everything as a teenager was an amazing experience. It, it, it really, I think my years in Germany during that did more to, to formate who I am now than probably any part of, of my um, growing up years. We have a, a, a closed um, Facebook group, Munich American High School alumni, and we still now after 60 years, we are all still friends. We There's groups of us, we get together in large groups, small groups, Whenever we can get two or three of us together, we call it a mini reunion and, you know, the Mustangs gather. Um, that's that's really fun and really special. I think that we have all maintained closeness and friendships from a time when there was no email. There wasn't Googling. There wasn't Facebook. You know, you had to write letters to, um, you know, keep in touch with people. And one of my best, best friends from that time period, um, I'll just refer to her as Gail. And her sister and some of the others of us all went to Washington, D.C. for a reunion back in, I'm going to say early 2000, 2006 or something. And when we got there, most of the people were from um, the classes of 1980, you know, 1990. And there we were, classes of the 60s and early 70s. And I remember one person came up to us and asked us if we had been teachers there. We said, no, we were we were friends, we were students there. And they asked us, well, how did you keep in touch with each other? And 
they were amazed that we wrote letters. You know, they said that's what you did back then. You didn't have Facebook. So, so we still to today maintain that very, very close relationship. So, um, so, and we stayed in Munich for three years. We came back right before the Olympics in Munich. We, I lived in North Munich. Our school was in South Munich. So we rode a bus across Munich to the school. Um, and we did leave right before the Olympics um, were held in, in Munich that year. And from there, we went to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, to a um, New Cumberland Army Depot. That was a, a very, very interesting period for me because where I lived was a total civilian community. There weren't, I don't think there was any other military brats in the, uh, the school that I went to. Um, they couldn't understand why I'd lived in Germany. You know, I had questions like, did your parents move to Germany so you could learn to speak German? You know, did you, is your mother German? You know why? They didn't understand the concept of my father was stationed there. And that's why we went there. I remember one day coming home on the school bus and one of my friends was crying. And I'm like, why are you, what's the matter? She was upset because her parents were making her switch bedrooms with her brother that afternoon. And she had been in that bedroom her whole life. And I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I cannot imagine being in a bedroom even more than three years. And you've been there in your whole life and, and you're upset that you're just moving down the hall. I, that, that was just so funny. And I still tease her about that today, 50 years later. Um, so from Harrisburg, um, I graduated from high school and I left home and went to Gainesville, Florida. And my dad still in the military, was stationed then at Fort Lee, Virginia. And, um, nope, he was stationed at um, Aberdeen Proving Ground in Maryland. And then from Aberdeen Proving Ground, he was stationed at Fort Lee, where he eventually retired and, and came back to Beaufort, um, where he lived throughout the rest of his life. He just passed away six months ago um, and was buried in his full military uniform. Um, which was one of his wishes. You know, the, the military was a very, very big part of his life, having grown up himself as a military brat and spending 30 years in the military. So that was my growing up years. And then I, too, married into the military, and my children were raised as military brats as well. Yeah. Did you kind of, you know, raising military brats yourself and being one yourself, did you kind of have an idea of what they were going through and what, you know, struggles and challenges they were facing along the way? Um, I did, but I also, more importantly, was aware of the wonderful experiences they were getting and the, the maturity level they reached far sooner than, than their peers who were not military children. Um, you know, I think you, you learn to make friends much quicker. You learn to be more confident in yourself. Um, because you constantly go through this this renewal of you're the the new person on the block, and so you have to you know reacquaint yourself and um, over and over again. And I I think that attributes to a, a, a amazing amount of early self confidence and um, yeah self confidence in, in children. So I don't really I I don't look at my growing up as having um bad periods i i think that it was it was challenging at times but it was it was a good experience i can't really say 
that there were times when I would sit back and, you know, I'm, I'm sure I did say, you know, I, I don't like this. I don't like moving, you know, because nobody wants to move and leave their friends. But I think all in all, I rated it as a positive experience. And I tried to make sure that my children did too. And I, I think they did. I think they are the people they are today because of that experience. Yeah. Is there anything you would have changed about the way you grew up or, you know, the way you were raised being a military child? I don't maybe invent Facebook earlier. <laughs> but um, no, I, I think that, you know, I mean, look, it's been a long time now, but, um, you know, I, it was it was difficult leaving your friends at times, but but people were much better about writing letters. And so, you know, as is obvious, that because I'm still friends with all of them today, we did keep in touch and we made that effort to do that. And so I think maybe that instilled in all of us more of a, a need and a, an acceptance of maintaining friendships, you know, as opposed to just, well, I'll see them, you know, again, because you're in the same community and stay, you know, in the same place. So. Yeah. Being constantly moving around, it's, you know, it's hard to stay in contact, you know, regardless technology or not, but, you know, now, kids have technology and they have Instagram and Facebook and text and whatever else there may be where they can easily stay in contact. And, you know, back then there was not any of that. Right. You you had to figure out how to do that and figure out how, you know, to make time to write letters and to send them and things like that. Yeah. My, I had a little address book back then and everybody's name was in ink, but everybody's address was in pencil. Because, you know, you constantly had to, <laughs> had to change it. And I always tried to, um, once I got into high school and, and realized that, that, hey, we are all moving around a lot. I always tried to get an address from one of my friends of their grandparents or of a cousin that didn't move around. Mm -hmm. So that if I ever lost contact with, with the friend, I had another source to be able to reach out and say, you know, hey, I'm a friend of Gail's and I haven't heard from her in six months. Have they moved or, or whatnot. So I always tried to make sure I had some means of permanent contact. Yeah. Because, you know, you lose that one address and you're lost. That's yeah. basically it. Yeah. It's not as easy, you know, again, you can't just search for someone, you know, on Google or whatever and find them easily as you can now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You mentioned moving so many times. Was there a place that you enjoyed the most? Was there a place that you call home or anything like that? I, I think that my best memories go more back to, um, oh boy, I forgot we lived in Oklahoma for a while too. Um, go back to my years in Germany and maybe just because I was older then and it was, it was such a different experience, you know, living in a totally different culture. Um, it was a, a, a different time in the world where, you know, my girlfriends and I, you know, we would get on the streetcar by ourselves and, and go downtown. Um, you know, we would get on a bus and go to another country, you know, for a vacation for a long weekend from school. Um, you know, we, I think, had a lot more freedom than I allowed my children or my grandchildren are allowed. Um, and, I, and I think that was maybe because of a different time in the world and also totally different culture. You know, in, in Europe, children get on streetcars and go to school and go to stuff by themselves at, you know, five and six years old. So it, 
it would have been strange for us not to do it as 15 and 16 year olds. So, I, but I think that that, um, to get back to your question, it's probably the, the time I look back on with, with the most fond memories. And, um, you know, when we lived in Oklahoma, you know, it was all fun, but I, I was younger for, for all of those experiences. Yeah. And then living in Harrisburg was so strange because I was the only military person there. So, you know, I really, um, you know, while I had a lot of friends, I kind of felt alienated, very different from everybody else. Yeah. And, you know, I was for my dad had a seven year break in service right when I was born, just about. Um, I was two when he I was like a year and a half, two when he got out. Um, and then he had a seven year break. And so those seven years I grew up, you know, in the civilian world, you know, I had, there was like one other girl in my school who was a military child. Um, and I believe her dad was Navy. And then my dad, uh, about 2010 was like, okay, I'm going to get back in. And he got back in. And then, um, that was about January, about actually a year ago from yesterday, my mom said, and, um, he reenlisted, got back in and went reserve so he could have his civilian job as well. And then not even see about two years later in November of 2011, a year later, two years later in November, 2011, he stepped in an IED. So he had to go medical, um, and get recovery. And then he ended up getting out. So I didn't even have the time to really move around. I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, um, in a suburb. And then we moved to San Antonio to Fort Sam Houston, um, for his recovery. And we were there for a couple of years and then he got out and we moved to Florida. So like, you know, there was not much moving around there and it was just, you know, those three, those three spaces and, you know, not much people understood when I moved to Florida, you're a military child, you're new here, like, you know, things like that. Like nobody understood or could comprehend that. And while, you know, in Ohio, I didn't even know what I, what it really was because I was raised in like a civilian world, I was like shielded from that side of it. Um, and then, you know, I was so exposed to it in Texas. And so when I moved to Florida, it was so different, so strange, you know, coming to back to that civilian world that, you know, most of my life has been civilian, but it was so strange coming back to that space being like, okay, right. now we got to change back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and you, you mentioned the, you know, your father stepping on the IED and stuff. And, um, you know, I think that that is a, a reality that, that military brats live with. You know, we, mm -hmm. we know that our, our father's, go away to war, you know, and we know that the, the danger that they're in, whereas I think civilian kids, you know, they, they can watch the news, they know the war is going on, but it's not personal to them. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't touch and sit on the couch beside them, you know, so, um, you know, I think that helps um, with maturity, you know, helping, helping military kids to grow up and accept the reality of the world the way it is. Right. And like don't have to face. Exactly. Going back to um, the drawdown in Afghanistan, like nobody, nobody realized like, you know, I was, my dad was in Afghanistan when he got hurt. And so nobody realized like, 
you know, they were all like, oh, it's a struggle for my dad. And like, yes, he was struggling. And there, there's no, no easy way to say that and no way around that. And, but those were like my hardest weeks. Like I was on the couch every single day watching the news. Like my eyes were glued to that TV and nobody understood because it's like, like, you know, it, yeah. it's just happening. Like there's nothing you can do about it. And it's like, you know, I always said, because, you know, we were right on his 10 year anniversary too. So that was even harder, but it was like, you know, he left a piece of him over there. Like technically, like in a sense, I'm over there. Like there's a piece of me over there with, you know, with him. him. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so nobody, like, if you're not a military child, like there are certain experiences like that, that you just don't get. And it's hard to explain things like that um, to a civilian child. And if you're living in that civilian community, it's like, you don't get it. Yeah. yeah and they don't get it. And, you know, another interesting aspect for me, and, you know, when my son went in the military and um, he went overseas to Kuwait during the war and, um, and I got to, I couldn't breathe, you know, when he came and told me he was going, it just, my whole world crumbled. And, you know, I was just like, no, you know, and I had watched my father go to Vietnam and watched, you know, friends, fathers go to Vietnam, go to Vietnam and not come back. And, but putting my son on a plane mm-hmm. and watching him go to war was probably one of the most painful things I've ever gone through in my life. I mean, just, you know, unfortunately, he came home safe and sound to us, but um, it was it was very different putting my son on a on a plane than watching my father leave to go. And, you know, and I don't know that a lot of people that haven't gone through that would would understand that. You know, I really would think, well, it had to be difficult putting you know seeing your father leave, and it was. But your child is your child. Yeah. Yeah. So you had your dad serve, your husband serve, and then you've had a child serve. Yeah. And my son served. So like, what's the difference kind of, you know, you've seen like three generations of military, like, have you noticed like any changes like within the community or? Um, Well, I think the communities now, the civilian communities, I think they tend to accept and try to embrace the military communities, at least in the town where we lived. It's, it's a Marine Corps town, which everybody always says to me, oh, was your dad in the Marines? No, he's in the Army. But you know, <laughs> um, but I think that they embrace the military more. And I, and I think, um, you know, we probably have the news agencies and stuff that have, have brought that military life into everybody's living room. You know, in Vietnam, you didn't, you know, every afternoon on the news, see what was going on over there. You know, there wasn't that that constant um, newsreels, whereas, you know, and in World War II and stuff, you got a newsreel when you went to the, the movies, you know, they would have little newsreels and stuff. And then with Vietnam, there really wasn't, you know, there was a periodic and, and, and short-term um, newsreels that you saw what was going on. But with the, the more recent wars, I mean, every every day i mean you keep cnn on all day long and you can just see all day long what's going on and um you know i think that has opened up the awareness for the civilian community to maybe have more of an understanding what the military family is is really going through um you know i will say too we did have a nephew 
who did go to Afghanistan and, and didn't come home. Um, you know, that was very difficult, especially my husband commissioned him. Mm. And so it was, it was, you know, very difficult. We, you know, as, as I said before, it, it's in our living room. It sits on our couch with us, you know, the reality of war and military life. Yeah. If you don't live it, you don't know it. And Absolutely. you can try and understand it. You know, you can watch the news all day. You can get all the information. But if you're not, if you're not living it, if you don't know someone military, if you're, you know, even if you know someone military, like a friend or whatever, you know, it's still not the same having, you know, your right. your dad or your husband or your son, you know, deploy or, you know, even you mentioned your nephew, like it's not the same. It Having family uh, serve in the military versus having a friend, you know, it is, it's a little different to, to another level. Yeah, it's it's very different. Not even just a little. It's very very different. So, um, but you know, it's still. I don't think I would trade it. You know, I would still want to have grown up as a military brat and been a military spouse and um, exposed my children to that life too. Yeah. Is there any like specific parts of your life that you can remember and look back on and be like? this is, you know, so military child versus civilian. And a lot of people say moving because civilians don't move a lot um, compared to the military. But is there a piece of your life where you can say that is definitely, you know, military child life right there? Um, I think having your your father or your spouse deploy, go away, go away to war, go to Korea for a year, um, you know, go to Vietnam at that, you know, civilian kids their father may travel or their mother may travel you know two nights out of a week or something but you know having your your parent leave for a year for six months is something that is is unique I think to the military family yeah I think so too because it's not just you know those those couple nights here and there it's you know year or months or even years of are you going to come home? When are you coming home? And, you know, you, most of the time there's not a definite answer for that. Exactly. You know, and now I think though it is easier, they have, you know, they, they have means of communication. They can do, mm-hmm. you know, Facebook, they can still see each other. The fathers can still say goodnight to kids, you know, where that wasn't available when, when I was a child and, you know, when my father was, was gone, you know, and even my grandfather was in world war one and world war two. And, you know, when he left to go to war, my grandmother had no idea when he was ever coming back. You know, he was gone for four years at one time. And, wow. You know, so that that is is totally, totally different. You know, he my father's brother was a pilot in World War Two also and was shot down and and killed. And his remains were finally located and sent back to the States in the 1950s. But, um, you know, so I don't I. That I'm sure had a big reason why my father joined the military as a pilot, you know, mm-hmm. trying to um, not become his brother, but honor his brother's loss. So, you know, but, and, you know, and, and my grandmother had to find that out by a telegram and she had been traveling. My grandfather was stationed in Pearl Harbor um, mm-hmm. after Pearl Harbor. He was provost marshal of the Hawaiian Islands and had come back to uh, San Francisco for a conference and a meeting or whatnot. So my dad, who was 16 at the time, and my grandmother got on a bus and went from Beaufort, South Carolina, out to 
um, San Francisco to see him while he was going to be there for two weeks. And it was at that time that her son, my uncle, was shot down. And so the telegram followed them from South Carolina. You know, so he had been missing, you know, probably 10 days before she, you know, finally got the the telegram and and knew, you know, because it followed her where she was traveling. So, you know, that's so very different from notifications that we that we have these days. Um, Right. Yeah, my mom got a phone call when my dad got hurt. Um, but most people get that knock on the door now. Yeah. Um, no matter what the situation, it's typically the knock on the door. Um, just because we lived in civilian community, you know, we got the phone call um instead. But typically you get that knock on the door and you know, you don't get a telegram anymore. Like it's not, you yeah. know, we, we things have advanced since then. Yeah, they have. And- um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a kinder way of, of having to learn devastating news like that now, mm-hmm. you know, just having a, a postman hand you a telegram, which, you know, back in that time, everybody, you know, you open the door and there's a, a postman standing there, you know what it is, you know, they, you know, they all knew. I remember my dad say he answered the door when, when they delivered the, the telegram and he, you know, called my grandmother and you know to come and handed her the telegram and she she read it she dropped it on a table and she looked at my dad and she said let's go for a walk mm-hmm. and my grandfather was unavailable to them that day and she, and he says he remembered they walked all day long around savannah around san francisco and my grandmother didn't say a word they just walked in silence mm-hmm. until they went back home that night my grandfather came home and they were able to tell him so um you know, totally different world. This this world, she would have picked up a cell phone and called him and, you know, you need to come home. Yeah. Instead, so many people were alone and didn't have that um, comfort of, of a family member with them. Right. And even now, like, you know, you mentioned on deployments and, and uh, missions and things like that. You know, we have Skype, we have FaceTime, we have uh, Facebook. We need, you know, we have all those means of communication. And whereas, you know, even when my dad deployed back in 2011, you know, Skype was just becoming a means of communication. Like we, we just had that starting. So I never got to experience a Skype call with my dad, but him and my mom would email. And so now like hearing other stories of younger children, like, um, or even children my age who experienced, uh, later deployments in their lives. It's like, yeah, we, we Skyped, we, we called, like, you know, we had conversations yeah. like um, the only way for me to hear my dad's voice is we got these little Build-A-Bears um, before he deployed and mine was like a camouflage bear and I had like um, little camos on it. And so it had a voice box in it of his right. voice and he recorded um, it said, I love you, Gracie on it. Um, and he put it in the the little hand. And so I, you know, press that every night before I go to bed to, you know, hear his yeah. voice. Um, but now it's not that it's not that complicated. Not that that was complicated. That was so easy, you know, to a nine year old, like pressing a button right. every night. Like that was so easy. Um, but now you can actually do phone calls. You can actually, you know, say goodnight to your kids. Exactly. If you, you know, get the Children hours know. right. <laughs> yeah, children don't have to forget what their father looked like for a year or their mother exactly. you know, they could see them and you know we did um audio tapes too little cassette mm-hmm. tapes mm-hmm. and you know with those and even with letters because you know he could 
mail a letter every day, but they didn't come in the right order sometimes. So we would number right. the letters and number the the audio tapes and stuff. And you know, so we we did that while he was in Korea and Vietnam. Um, so yeah, that that was that was our way of hearing his voice and staying in contact more. Yeah, there's definitely uh, so many ways that technology has advanced, and you know, for the most part, you know, it is helped strengthen the military families and military communities. Like um, we, we would not, you know, it's hard to live in those times where, you know, you're like, Hey, am I going to hear from this person again? Or like, when am I going to hear from this person when I'm going to see him again? Um, But now it's just like, you can send a text, you can, you can call someone, you can, you know, video chat with someone. It's so much easier. And And you know, you still write letters too. And yeah, it's very immediate. Um, I have letters from when my dad was deployed. Um, He wrote one letter that got to us. Um, So like, I still have those and, you know, those are important to me and, you know, I cry every time I read it, but (laughs) you know, there's, there's things like that, that, you know, are just still so special. And sometimes going back a little bit to writing letters is, is so special. It, It is. There's, there's, I think nothing more meaningful to get than a handwritten letter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially with COVID and the pandemic happening too, and, you know, everyone locked inside, you know, we had, we had our phones, we had technology to keep everyone connected, but, you know, every once in a while I'd get a handwritten letter from someone, um, you know, and it just makes me so happy to get a handwritten letter because, you know, people still actually do that every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's a dying art, but you know, it is a special one. Yeah. Yes, for sure. So what kind of experiences did you have growing up that you kind of made sure your kids experienced, you know, being military that you're like, don't, don't miss out on this. Um, I think the most part would be when I lived in Europe with my kids, I wanted them to see the the vast differences in the culture. Um, we lived in, and I, it was funny, I would take them to places where I had gone as a young child in the military, and my parents had taken a picture of me standing beside a tree in a neighborhood we lived in. I would take all my kids there and put them by that same tree and take a picture, <laughs> you know, and we went to... Um, a park in the Netherlands called Madorodam, which is a little miniature city. And, you know, I have pictures of myself and my sisters all at certain places. And, you know, I would take that picture and I replicate it and have my kids stand in the same place. And, you know, so I always did that with them and and tried, you know, by that showing them a little piece of my life, you know, in my childhood. Um, You know, when we lived, um, when I went back with my husband, when my children were small, in Wiesbaden, and then we transferred to Flensburg, which is on the Danish border. And it was very, very close to East Germany. This is before the the wall came down, and the, Germany was still divided. And I would I took them on the train once because to ride the train from Flensburg back down to Wiesbaden, we went along the East German border. And I remember the first time I did it, um, you know, and it, they announced on the thing they were turning the lights off on the train, and that we were going along the border. And well, it, you know, I just I didn't immediately think East German border. So, you know, I turned to somebody else on the train and I said, what border are we by? You know, because I knew we were just going south and I'm thinking like, wait a minute. (laughs) And they said, oh, East German border. And I looked out and there were the fences, you know, Mm -hmm. and and you could see the 
the little community in the East German side. And I realized how that affected me to know that, you know, that's the whole reason for the military is because we, we live in this free, free, free part of the, the world. So I took my children on the train ride so that they could see that and realize, you know, that fence is there. It's not keeping us out of there. It's keeping those people locked in. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have the freedom that we have. They can't get on a train and go from Flensburg to, to Wiesbaden. You know, they're, they are locked in their communities. And we rode one day um, while we were in Flensburg, we're on a, a day trip and we went through the woods to this little place where the, the fence but dividing East and West Germany was right there. And there were West German guards standing along and they were just very relaxed. And, you know, we got out and we were talking to them and there was a little, a little brook and then there was a fence and then a distance of maybe 10 yards and then a second row of fences. And on the second row of fences on the other side were the East German guards and they had German shepherds and they were very staunch and rigid. They had their rifles on their shoulder you know and they were walking along and they were watching us you know getting out of our car and talking so my youngest son was five years old at the time and he was down on the ground playing in that little brook and picking up tadpoles and showing us and so I asked the West German guards I said so where exactly is the border is it you know the first fence in the middle of the fences or the second fence he looked down he said no it's that brook I just reached Mm -hmm. down and grabbed my son back out of it and I'm like well you were in East Germany today and you didn't even know it so um, you know, I, I, to go back to your question, I think that that was one of the things that I wanted them to see. And it really kind of hit home and made them more aware of what the military was doing, why, why it was so important that we did have a military presence around the world. Yeah, I think that's really important. So one of the last questions I always ask is what advice would you give to another military child? Um, be in the moment where you are, you know, don't get to a place and start looking for when do we transfer? When do we relocate? You know, and I've seen too many, um, other military spouses when I was military spouse or even kids that, you know, they put that calendar up on the wall and they know I've got two years and six months left here, you know, and then I can go back home. Don't, don't do that. Embrace where you are, learn what you can from it. Um, get all the experiences of that particular culture, be it in the United States, in the Far East, in the Middle East, wherever it might be. Gain what you can from where you are. Yeah, I think that's really important. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story. Well, and thank you for doing this. I think it's important that the rest of the world, the rest of the civilian world, as well as other military to, to realize there are some military people that don't appreciate the lifestyle they had mm-hmm. and I think if they can see what other people experienced maybe they can think back on theirs and, and rethink, rethink it and yeah. realize that it was a great opportunity yes for sure thank you so much thank you you have a great day you as well thank you thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Grace of Military Child podcast If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to follow, like, share, subscribe, review, and comment. You can also follow us at Grace of a Military Child podcast on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more podcast-related content. If you or someone you know is a military child who would like to be on the podcast, please send us a message to one of our social media platforms 
or you can send an email to grace.of.a.military.child at gmail.com. Tune in next Thursday to hear another incredible journey.